Hello and welcome to You Don't Know Lit. My name is Nick Argyris and this week I'm looking for the best war book. Huh. Okay. I really hope that this week Nick replaces all the interstitial music with like that sort of martial drum beat that you hear in like a Ken Burns documentary. Yeah. Okay. Um, so you're going Ken uh, Burns uh, and Joe is going, wahoo, good God, you all. Who? Yeah, yeah. yeah. What is it good to for? To help me That's are two divided <laughs> high school English teachers, Ian and Joe. Hi, Nick. I'm a high school English teacher. I don't generally read books about war, but I read one this week. And if you are looking for the book that I read, I bought <laughs> one called Hooligans of Kandahar. Amazing. The, the Hooligans of Kandahar, written by a guy named Joseph Kasabian. So his name's Joe, which I liked a lot. Nice, nice. Yeah, liked um, it right. I also brought a book by a Joseph. So <gasps> we got a, lot, a plethora of Josephs today. Uh, charge, Nick. Retreat, Joe. Lidheads, hold your positions. Today is War Day. And for War Day, I brought a war book about how war is stupid and silly and miserable and funny and dehumanizing and a bunch of other stuff. I brought Joseph Heller's classic anti war comedy novel. Catch-22, which has been called the longest joke ever told. May your earlobes turn into assholes and shit on your shoulders. Hey, the plot doesn't fucking matter at all. This is what I think it's about. If you look closely <laughs> enough, every author was at some point a racist. Audiobooks don't count, right? All art is quite useless. <laughs> who, who told you that? Fun fact, that is how Joe laughs. <laughs>, <laughs>, <laughs> I got a fun fact about Catch-22 for yes. you, uh, left over from our Robert Gottlieb week. Uh, yep. Robert Gottlieb was the editor of Catch-22. The initial draft, and actually until pretty late in the game, it was not Catch-22. It was yep. Catch-18. Catch-18. The title was changed to avoid, I think, like like namespace pollution. There was a there different was, there, book Yeah, there was another out. book recently published named uh, Something 18 and uh, Mira 18. And Gottlieb actually was the one that suggested 22. They looked at 17 and 14, but somebody said 17 we can't do because 17 has been recently done. 14 isn't a funny number. We need a funny number. And so they said, let's do 22 because it's got repetition. And um, Gottlieb said 22 is funnier than 14. And Joseph Heller immediately agreed. He's, right. He's like, yeah. 22 is funnier. Why? That's why Gottlieb got the big bucks. I don't know. Mm. I don't know if you asked me if you all held a gun to my head in a war and you said to me, What's the funniest number? I would, I, I don't know. What is the funniest number? Well, it, what's funnier, 19 or 22? Definitely 22. 22. Why? I don't, I don't understand No, it. this is a thing. Well, Douglas yeah. Adams, famously 42. Like 42 is a very funny number to be the answer to life, the universe and everything. Right. Uh, let's go around and talk about our favorite wars. Nick. Mm. <laughs> Uh, gotta love gotta love world war ii it had oh, it all wow. right number one don't we all think. lament for a good world war ii mm-hmm. from nukes to more nukes it had mm-hmm. everything you want in a war it's true good guys bad guys the good guys won a mm-hmm. sense right. of national identity mm-hmm. and righteousness that mm-hmm. lasted for 70 years but i think it's probably dwindling at this point we learned we learned a couple weeks ago that world war ii is like according to uh colin woodard who wrote the oh, american yeah. nations book he said that's the only time america's been unified really ever wow Oh, so. man. A good war. <laughs> I like the War of the Roses. Can I choose Ooh, War nice. of the Roses? Yeah, it has a pretty can. name for a war. Joe, what book are you bringing? I've got a book called The Hooligans of Kandahar. Or, um, one second, let me read it, how my audiobook narrator read it. Oh, great. The Hooligans of Kandahar. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> great. And if you think that doesn't get old over 300 pages, <laughs> you are wrong. <laughs> <laughs> 
So this week is a Lithead recommendation. This is a Lithead recommendation. Lithead, um, Sean. Oh, man. Yeah, Sean with the theme and uh, the hooligans recommendation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, this seems like a very depressing theme, which we haven't done in a while. Um, (laughs) We do have... Uh, Litheads, we do have evil cars coming up as a theme in case you, you know, <laughs> just want to take the week off. <laughs> uh, I, I, I'll go on record right now as saying my book, um, is not, it, it's, it's philosophy is a downer, but it's story is not a downer. It's story is incredible. So. Well, welcome Litheads to You Don't Know Lit, a weekly, or as we call it, strongly podcast where every week a theme is selected by us someone, or by you someone. through recommendation. Or by ChatGPT, maybe someday. Mm-hmm. Yes, someday. Oh. Thank you, Ian. I'm just throwing it out there. Everyone's talking about automation. Why not jump in on it? Nick, do we already show rules? Yeah, we got some rules. Uh, did we get to that part yet? We really no. lost the script. Rule number one, gentlemen, stay on track here. Rule number one, <laughs> only unavoidable spoilers today. I don't want to know who wins these wars. Okay. Rule okay. number two, omit needless words, Joseph. And rule number Thank three, you. only winning matters, just like in war. <laughs> Just oh, like in war. Oh, very good. Very See good. See that other connection? Joe, yeah. I, didn't, I didn't come up with a connection for your rule. No, it's um, okay. I guess no, no, so, not too much talking in wars, is there? <laughs> a lot of keeping your voice both down. Of our, both of our authors this week are named Joe or Joseph. Um, mm. Joe, would you say that your Joe omitted needless words? Mm. I, um, uh, He's sure. got nothing. He has he, nothing. No, I, I have nothing. Joe, he did fine. I yes. have something for you. Take 30 seconds to tell me what this wonderful book is about that was recommended by Lithead. All right. Nick, Ian, Lithead, Sean recommended a book this week, The Hooligans of Kandahar. The Hooligans of Kandahar. It's a book about a guy named Joe who's deployed to Afghanistan at the height of the Afghan war. During the peak of the war, he and his squad are dropped by helicopter to the remote mountains outside of Kandahar City where they are mismanaged, overlooked, and forgotten. This is probably the most accurate account of what it feels like to be in war that I have ever read. Okay. But how would you know that? I just assume like it's <laughs> it just feels. It, it, yes. feels. it feels like it feels <laughs> like uh-huh. Nick, it's just how I feel. Got it. Ian, tell us how you feel about your book. Take 30 seconds. Captain John Yossarian flies bombers and he hates it. He knows a secret, you see, and knowing that secret means he'll do whatever it takes to avoid combat, and I mean whatever it takes. But he's stationed in the Mediterranean during World War II. His commanding officer just wants to look good, and Yossarian can't get away from the fighting. Or can he? This week I brought Catch-22. I loved it. Ian, have you, you read, read that this book, be- book before Ian, this have week? you read that book before? I've not. I, I've wanted to for a long, 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 long time. It's one of those that like I feel like I should have read by this point, and reading it felt like I was filling a huge gap in my knowledge, my oh, bookshelf. Sure. It's a classic. Joe, why don't you go first? I feel like, um, you know, Lidhead's first, right? Lidhead's that's first. Just, that's, that's, just respect. that's just respect. I mean, war, respect. war is not polite, but I think it can this be, podcast can be polite. Yeah, this mm. some civility, please. We're Joe. nothing of not polite. No. Yes. May you please go first, Joe? Mm. 
this is a book about the Afghan war, right? It's It was a pretty interesting book for me to read. Uh, Joe Kasabian is my age. He enlisted in the army at 17 years old. Uh, that would have been like 2003 for him. And that was the exact time that I was graduating high school. And considering, I guess not, I never really considered, but um, not, really. You know, not really. <laughs> for a while, the army was calling me all the time. Like they came to my high school gym class and uh, they did everything the and they made a pitch. Metaphorically. Yeah. And I remember I was out in the barn once and the phone rang, the barn phone rang and they said, Hey Joe, this is just, you know, whatever, Mr. Army dude from the army. And I was just wondering how, what your interest level is. And I was finally just like, Hey, I don't really know what comes next for me, but I really know that it's not the army. <laughs> like I know this isn't it. Uh, I'm right there with you, Joe. I'm ready to go to Canada at any minute. At any point. Well, except it's on fire. So uh, this is a guy named Joe Kasabian. He is a young guy. He's growing up in the metro area of Detroit. He's not exactly sure what his future looks like either. And he joins the army. He joins at 17 years old, goes through training, and does eight years worth of service in both Iraq and Afghanistan. Is this his just accounting of that experience? Yes, this is his accounting of this of his experience. And the, Ooh, this book is like 30. Ian, I see it in your eyes. Would that make this a a, a mem wait. Um, is it a memoir? It? Yeah. It's a memoir. It's a memoir. It's a memoir. <laughs> the number one thing I get reading this book is that war seems for the most part, really, really boring. Uh, it's it seems like it it seems like it changes between I am a soldier and I am incredibly bored right now to oh my God, something pants-shittingly terrifying is happening right now, and I'm going to shoot all of my bullets in that direction. That's pretty much the two types of chapters that are in it's this. It's a real on-and-off situation, huh? Real so, on-and-off. So that that's the experience that he describes. So what uh, are uh, how are we going to talk about this book? Are you just going to tell us things that happen? I don't want to get too much into the things that happen, because this book is like 35 vignettes about that basically boil down oh, to like, okay, okay. here is a thing that happened to me in war, right? Like yeah. here is a thing that happened to me in the one year of my life that I'm talking about. And they range from everything from, Hey, let me tell you the story about this medic that was in our unit that we all really, really loved. And then he got shipped home and they replaced him with a guy that had no medical training whatsoever. And we all just had to be okay with that. Um, end of chapter. Or let me tell you about the time that we were sleeping on a couch in our lookout spot. We weren't supposed to have a uh, couch in our lookout spot. We weren't supposed to be sleeping in our lookout spot. Let me tell you about a time we were sleeping though, and a sniper shot at us and hit within an inch of the guy's yeah. head who was sleeping yeah. on the couch. And then we abandoned that lookout spot. That's why we they say don't sleep in the lookout because you might right. get shot or by that couches. sniper. Yeah, or couches. Absolutely. Who's who's this book for? Is this more of does this take like a more is this like a first person perspective on like, you know, the the history, the 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 war itself? Is this does this book go in a different direction? Is this it seems like it's just a peek behind the curtain. This book is a peek behind the curtain. Uh, what this book feels like is it feels like you were sitting next to Joe Kasabian at a bar. Right. Like like you just roll up to a bar and you order a beer and you start talking to the guy next to you. And the guy's like, hey, yeah, I was in Afghanistan. Let me tell you what it was like. And then he just starts rattling off stories about Afghanistan. And like some of those stories are really funny and some of them are really crass. And some of them he 
like kind of feels like he's bragging about things that shouldn't really be bragged about, oh. right? Is and, he talking and about like, how many how many children he's killed? Yeah, oh. yeah. I mean, I mean, things like that. Like he talks frequently about like about like the way they would treat Afghan um, men, women, children, etc. Right? Like how they very much treated them as obstacles and potential mm. threats, and like gave them exactly the amount of respect that you would give an obstacle to your mission or a potential threat to your mission. And it's done in an incredibly offhanded, almost a lighthearted isn't the word. It's just like an offhand way where you go like, oh, this was just the mode of being here, right? Like, so when this Afghan man comes up to their to their car and they like kick him in the chest, this old Afghan man, and he like f- spills into the street and then they just keep moving, that's that's just kind of fine. That's just like how they had hmm. to be, I guess. Hmm. Everything I know about the war in terms of like the day-to-day, um, man, I, I watched some, I think I think I watched some Vice documentary on like, what it was like to be there yeah and basically the takeaway was it was just chaos yeah Mm. just like like Mm. unsupervised Mm. chaos you know trying to put forth this mission that was just very unclear to the troops i I mean unclear and and kind of asinine and maybe just totally undoable unwinnable completely unwinnable they there's situations in this book where, you know, they th- there's a structure of command in the army and they will be given a mission, for example. Right. And they'll be like, OK, your unit, Joe's unit. This is the plan. In the middle of the night, we're going to set up an outpost right in the middle of Kandahar. But there's not one there right now. And we have no way of knowing who around that is an enemy. So we are going to drive all our MATVs into the, there in the middle of the night. We're going to take out these huge sandbags, but we can't carry them full because they're too heavy. So we're going to fill them on the spot there. So like at two in the morning, we're driving out there. We're setting up an outpost and we're going to fill sandbags and build a wall in the middle of Kandahar. And then they get out there and they actually try to do that. And they're like, oh, these sandbags are usually filled with like heavy equipment and we can't fill them here. And it's like not enough sand around to do it. Uh, We're just going to (laughs) leave. And they just abandon like an hour later. They're like, yeah, this mission sucks. Is there a lot of a lot of noping out in this book? Kind of a shocking amount. Like, (laughs) like in my head, if you're in the army and you're told to do something, you do it. Right? Stop at nothing. You stop at nothing. In this book, there's a lot of times when they're told to do something by a commander that down up the chain somewhere that they don't really know and they don't really have that much accountability to. And they kind of sort of make an effort to do it right. They make it look like they did. And they're like, yeah, that's that's how people get shot. We're, we're not doing that. That's how people like trip IEDs. I don't really want to talk about war, you know? <laughs> um, well, here, here's a question. It's, if, Nick, if Nick doesn't want to talk about war, I think one of the things that one of the things that they say about about war books and about war in general is it reveals something about the cultures, um, yeah. the cultures that are undertaking it. So, like, what does this what does this tell us about maybe military culture or about yeah. um, about the, the the situation which gave rise to? And how might this have an effect on on our understanding of war? Like, might might this change some minds about 
raw, raw flag waving. I feel like so often the war books that we get are things like American Sniper, where it's like this book where it's like, let me tell you about this hero. Let me tell you about this U.S. hero who did amazing things. This book is not like that. In Mm -hmm. fact, the subtitle Mm -hmm. of this book is, um, is, is, so it's The Hooligans of Kandahar, subtitle, Not All War Stories Are Heroic. Right. Mm. And that is that's exactly what this is. Um, These guys aren't exactly cowardly. Like, that's not what I would describe them as. But they are not self-aggrandizing. Like, they are very much like we got put in a bad spot to do a bad job. And it wasn't super doable. This is how we coped for a year. Like, and and it, it's what you think it is. This is like the stupid stuff that we did. This is how we handled the boredom. This is how we handled the pointlessness. This is like our reaction when we almost got blown up, et cetera. There's, there's kind of a lot of like hijinks and maybe like, what do you call hijinks when they're not what? that playful? Like maybe like asshattery. Like right? hooli- hooli- hooliganry. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot. There's kind mm. of a lot of hooligan, hooliganry. In it's, the a hard, it's not a real word. I don't it's think that's a word. Yeah, no. That's what is going with it, though? can't be a word. We've declared yeah. war on the dictionary. <laughs> um, <laughs> Nick, and, and it's these things. Let you can't see this, but Nick hated that one. Nick yeah. despised <laughs> that one. Go ahead, Joe. A lot no, of hooliganry. There's a lot of hooliganry in this. And a lot of times reading this book is kind of like, oh, you know what it is? When I was young and I would bartend, at a certain point in the night, everybody in the bar is drunk except for you. And Mm -hmm. everybody in the bar that is drunk is acting stupid. And they're having a lot of fun. But you, as the sober person in the The room, room. are looking at them going, you guys are idiots. Like, I hate all of you. Reading this book, a lot of the experience is you looking at these guys and going like, ah, you guys are idiots. I hate all of you, right? Like, mm-hmm. it's not mm-hmm. great. Is there anything deeper than that? Because there's a lot of, there's not a lot of, it's actually only one, one, one star review that's public. <laughs> <laughs> cowards, yeah. you cowards. But, um, like, I get it, but it's hard to not be judgy about either this guy's opinions or what was happening or things like that. I mean, but it is real. Like yeah, it's, I, I, that's I the way he, it, it is. And I mean, and this certainly isn't the only account that can give you that. So is there anything kind of deeper than that casual surface? Hey, this is what it's like. Yeah. I think the thing to, I think the thing to like about this book, it is casual. It is surface, I think. But the thing to like about it is when I think of war books or when I thought of war books before Sean's recommendation here, I thought of Catch-22. Like I thought of Slaughterhouse-Five. I thought of like these big kind of, I don't know if epic is the right word, but like these big capital L literature war books, right? Or I thought of American Sniper, right? Like this self-aggrandizing portrait of war. This it really does feel like it captures what the mundane life of a soldier is like. And that's not what those other ones are like, right? Like those other ones give you just the highlights. This is not the highlights. This is the day-to-day of soldierdom. So that's it. This this was, um, it was an interesting book. It was a pretty like easy read. It went pretty sure. quickly. The chapters sure. are super short. I I didn't super love it. Like it felt like it didn't have anything bigger to say beyond like, hey, here's here's some right. short stories about right. war that may or may not have a point. Huh. 
And I didn't think the characters were that admirable. And I think like part of it is they, they took a bit of a pride in not being very admirable, which I thought was kind of a skeezy hooligans. thing about yeah. this book. Yeah, they, yeah. They, were, they were hooligans. However, you do have empathy for them at a certain point. Um, about halfway through the book, they come home on leave. Our main character comes home on leave. And when he comes home on leave, like he's with his buddy, his buddy's linking up with his wife. And then there's this girl that he's been talking to, um, our main character, Joe, there's this girl he's been talking to. They've never met, but they send like soldier love letters back and forth. Right. And he's going to meet her for the first time and they come home and they get off the plane and he's like just in his gross military uniform and he meets this girl for the first time and they all go to the mall together to get new clothes. And it's this very innocent scene, obviously, like these guys going to the mall to buy new clothes, but he describes what it felt like to be in a mall after being in Kandahar for six months. Right. And he describes what it felt like to be like just among civilians after like, after for six months, considering every person you see as a potential threat, considering Mm -hmm. every Mm -hmm. bag that you see as a potential threat. Right. And he said, I was in the mall trying to impress this girl that I'd been writing for three months and I was having a panic attack. Like I was having an honest to God, legitimate panic attack. And you go, Oh, right. War is incredibly damaging for the people that fight in, in war. Even the good guys or well, whatever. (laughs) So I don't know. I thought it was interesting enough. It was okay. Tell us more about the good guys, Joe. Ian, yeah, Catch Twenty Two. <sighs> had you guys heard of this, uh, Joe? Obviously, you have. Nick, had you heard of Catch Twenty Two before? Yes. Yeah, it's kind of a it's kind of a well known book. Not just because so Heller came up, the author Joseph Heller came up with um, the concept of the Catch Twenty Two, which is now pop, part of popular parlance, and I can talk about that at some point. But I was kind of blown away when I when I read this book at how funny it is. I was not expecting that. I was expecting more or less a straight war story or maybe something sort of surreal ish like Vonnegut. Um, but this is not, this is, this is funny. And and you can tell he put in work to make this book funny. It is hilarious. Um, I listened to it most, I mostly listened to it as an audiobook. and it was read by someone who kind of took their time with the jokes and, and there's a lot of repetition. One of the ways he, one of one of his humorous tactics, uh, is, is repeating something. Uh, and I saw an analysis of this, which says he, he, repeats a joke often enough that it stops being funny and then he keeps repeating it and eventually it starts become fu- becoming funny again oh, and the comparison ooh. was stockholm syndrome where <laughs> like the same thing happens over and over and eventually like you see the absurdity in it and it's also got a ton of really good one-liners i'll i'll break off a couple <clears throat> he was going to live forever or die in the attempt b plus uh, just because you're paranoid doesn't mean they aren't out to get you. It just feels like you're ruining all the jokes for the lit heads. Oh my gosh, no. Oh my <laughs> gosh. There are so, there's so, like one of my big struggles with this book, there's so much. It's a huge, it's not huge, it's a good size book and there are so many funny things that sort of defy description. Um, I am scratching the surface. This book introduces you to so many different characters and all of them over the course of time turn out to be just absurd it's bonkers that's the word that's the word to describe it everything everything is turned up to 11 bombs it bonkers when did okay so this book wants to know what the book is about joe hold hold your horses i I will 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a story it's, it's mostly focused on it's it, uh, our, our main character, Yasterian. Um, he's a captain. He flies in uh, bombers in world war two. Um, and he learns something which makes, I'm not going to tell you what he learns, but it's a secret. He learns a secret about the world and it makes him realize I should not be doing this. I hate this. I, this is the worst. Everyone's going to try and kill me. Um, I want to not be a, a soldier anymore. And, um, uh, the book is in large part him attempting to avoid being a soldier while his captain continues making it harder and harder for him to go back home. Um, and he gets up to worse and worse shenanigans trying to avoid being a soldier and everything else. Just things just devolve. That's that's if you had to sum up this, this book in, in two words, things devolve. Is this just also a series of vignettes of wacky scenarios? Like Joe's book. <laughs> I, did, I don't think I ever said the word wacky. I think you used the word wacky. Somehow <laughs> things that happen very, very early on have this intertwined ripple effect later in the story. Um, characters are mentioned briefly. And then, you know, four chapters later, we get their point of view for a, for a chapter. It's it holds together in an almost impossible way because it feels like it's sprawling. It's also got time jumps. It like we have flashbacks. Um, we have uh, memories. It feels like it should be disconnected, undisciplined, but it's not. Somehow it all holds together like a like a well-woven rug. And by the time you get to the end, it it it's powerful. It's and I think I think it's the humor is throughout, but it's also it's kind of like brutally like poignant might be the word. Um, OK, tell us. OK, so catch. Catch 22. You want yeah, yeah, to talk? I want to talk about how this became a thing. Well, okay, so I remember a few things it's about this book. I, re- I read this pretty young, right? I read this maybe okay. younger than you okay. should. I nice, was like nice. a sophomore in high school, I think. And I remember it being funny. Number one, like I was like really proud that I was able to like get the jokes. Yes, I, yes, yes. Like, I remember it being pretty funny. I also remember like it being, maybe it's what you were just talking about, like disorganized, like hard to follow at places or maybe just yeah, a lot sure. of threads to hold on to. And then the other thing I remember is, isn't there some proposal posterous mortality rate for ball turret gunners or for like the job that it, it, is this like do you do you remember that offhand i thought it was like it, it's a it's a lot yes it's a lot like it was something like if you went up in one of these bombers you had a 30 percent mortality rate however if you were a ball turret gunner which is like the glass ball that sits at the bottom of this b52 and swivels 360 degrees it, your mortality rate was like 65 percent Right. Like you had a 65% yeah. chance of dying. Ian, my question is, why is this book a big deal? Like when it came out, uh-huh. what were the circumstances like? This is at a time when I would imagine we are still like really sell because this is World War II, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's about World War II. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Came out in the 60s. So it came out in 1961. I'll, I'll answer your question with, I think, um, sort of a, a brief narrative of how the book came to be, because it's, it's a it's a sort of an interesting odyssey. Uh, brief don't worry uh, and that <laughs> factors honest. into your answer and also and also gets to the, the question <laughs> of the catch-22 itself so joseph heller was he was he fought in world war ii he took eight years to be able to write about it and then after eight years 1953 
he wrote the first two sentences of this book and then he stopped. And then he's like, I can make this something. So he spent a whole year planning the novel. He wrote out, wrote out a third of it, sent it off to Simon and Schuster. And they said, yes, we want this book. And then he took, he took five more years. He went five years over deadline. So he started in 1953. He didn't get it published until 1961, which is 16 years after the end of World War I. World War II. And this 1961 is an era where, I mean, we're still, we're still only 16 years after the end of the war, but perspectives on war are beginning to shift. And Vietnam is coming up and the counterculture movements are growing the sort of it's very crude. And this is an era when that becomes more acceptable. People, people are not going to be so pearl clutchy, you know, the swears and the sex and the fights and the drinking. Um, it's going to be it's going to be more OK. So I think it took off and apparently it took off among college students. Uh, the, the legend goes that every college student, this is part of this is required. You went to college and you've got a copy of Catch-22. That part counterculture, Vietnam and um it's just long enough that at this point, if you're the kind of the college student reading Catch-22, World War II is your parents' war. So your parents are talking about like heroic stories and you've, you've been fed this and you're not, you don't buy it. You don't get it. And, and his message is, is um, uh, prescient enough that it, it clicks years later. There's also the concept of the Catch-22. And this is kind of hard to explain. It's never clearly explained in the story, but I'll give you two quotes that kind of kind of get at it. Um, one quote is directly from the text. They have a right to do anything that we can't stop them from doing. Let's pause to think about that. Yep. <laughs> they have the right to do anything we can't stop them from doing. It feels like teaching a little. It feels like English. It feels like classroom management, right? Yeah, they can do anything. Kind of, yeah, like, like there's, yeah. there's a bit of a yes. Um, the other piece is... This is a, a more formal definition. A catch-22 is a problem for which the only solution is denied by a circumstance inherent in the problem or by a rule. So let's slow down and break that down. A catch-22 is when the problem is such the problem is such that it is fundamentally insoluble, can't be solved because something about the problem prevents the solution from being uh, implemented. There is a solution but we can't implement it. And so this, this presents in the text, um, people want to stop flying. They want to stop flying bombers. It's all, it's dangerous. And if you are diagnosed by the doctor as crazy, you don't have to fly anymore. But in order to fly, you have to be crazy because going up in that plane with the high mortality rate I Googled an easier example. Try. It's the meme. It's the meme about how you need experience uh, for a job. Yep, to get exactly. a job, you Got need. Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. You yep. have to have 15 years experience to get a job. But yeah, yep. blah, blah, blah. that's it. That's okay. it. Yep. That's, that's, it. that's the that's the couch 22. This is kind of indicative. This is like the the the, the representative, the symbol that's that that represents the whole point that Heller's trying to make, which is war is hell. Hell is other people. <laughs> That's kind of those two together. It's 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 the word the word we've used here on the show in the past, which you guys may or may not recall, is Kafka-esque. Franz Kafka writes stories where people are trapped and they kind of can't get out of it, and things are bureaucratic and terrible and miserable, and it's the worst. This is funnier than than Kafka's stories, but this is this is pretty much it. 
our main character, Yossarian, wants to stop flying missions. He can't get diagnosed as crazy. His boss, the, the only other way for him to, to go home is, is um, to fly a certain number of missions. He's got to fly oh, 40 God. missions. God. And then, just as he's at 37, his commanding uh-huh. officer raises the number to 45. Do you think this happens in increments of five throughout the entire book? Oh, God. Yes. Oh, God. Towards the, towards the end of the story, the, main, the, the officer is considering, maybe we should raise it to 100. 150 a <laughs> thousand and you're just like this is stupid it's it's joe's it's joe's point yeah. about bureaucracy and mismanagement writ yeah. large it's like Love. that's that's the whole thing back to joe's question when this came out were people like ah it's a real catch-22 did, did, did yeah i do wonder like how quickly that, right that entered the parlance i think i think so i think in part because it had this broad so it was a huge success in the uk which has a different relationship to World War II than 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 um, America does. Sure. Um, yep. Because it was so widely read, it wasn't like it never won any awards. It was never particularly like um, critically acclaimed, especially early on. But because it was so widely read, people began and because Catch Twenty Two is kind of a slippery term. It's become more. It's 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 part of the popular lexicon now. World War II vets have called this the most accurate military book ever, even though. It's surreal, fictional comedy. Um, the Air Force, apparently, I can't substantiate this, but I'm, I saw online that the Air Force uses this book as a cautionary tale to cadets about being too like caught up in bureaucracy. They're like, look, this is what could happen. It's one of the best war stories I've ever read. It's really, really Guys, fun. I have an impromptu game for you. Oh I my goodness! Up, what? Woo, 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 woo. I looked up what other phrases have come from books that are in oh, I like common this. language, and I'm just going to read you a couple phrases here, and you're going to guess what book it came from. Are you ready? Mm, yeah, I, I love it. Extending the olive branch. Extending the olive branch. Extending the olive branch. Meaning, meaning, of course, to like a sign of peace, peace. an offering yeah. of peace. Yeah. Is it Shakespeare? It does feel Shakespearean. I'm going to say Genesis. It feels Adam and Evie to me. That's right. The Bible. (laughs) (laughs) Let's go to a different one. Non-biblical. All right. By the skin of my teeth. By the skin of my teeth. Do you guys say the skin of my teeth or the hair of my teeth? You. The hair of my teeth. This game is over. It's the same as the horrible. (laughs) But yeah, by the the skin of my teeth. teeth? You have to give us more clues, Nick. We can't just Bible. Just kidding. A twist. You said it was not biblical. I feel. I feel. I don't like these games where Nick can just lie to us. This this is a fictional story. How about this one? All that glitters is not gold. Shakes. That's Shakespeare. Nope. It was also the Bible. Next one. (laughs) Pound of flesh. The Bible. I thought it was. I thought it was Tolkien. Isn't isn't that the isn't that the return uh, of the king poem Shakespeare meme? <laughs> mm, I saw this in a TED talk first. It was like a bug that latched onto your brain, and yeah. Do you have an answer for us? Um, also biblical in nature. It was coined by Richard Dawkins. <laughs> I'm guessing but you, I take Bible from here on out. Ian will take. Are you the just field. reading? Did you just did you just find a Bible? <laughs> just online? read the Bible. Yeah. <laughs> it's from wow. the the book, The Selfish Gene. Oh, Richard oh. Dawkins. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I feel like this game is sort of um, sort of a catch-22 itself. It's basically the Bible and Shakespeare. That's where mm-hmm. everything That's came it. That's from. And, That's culture. And- welcome, to, welcome to Western culture. I, I was just going to say, I think one cool thing about catch-22 is like, 
here's a phrase for a phenomenon that we are familiar with that apparently didn't exist before this. So like the phrase didn't exist. Yeah. When you have questions like, how does this become such a, how does this enter modern parlance? Right. I think the answer is it gives a really clear phrase for an idea that you understood, but didn't have a name for. And I feel like that's always a very powerful thing. That's a big win. We got to come up with something like that in too many butlers. Like Mm, what's like an expression that doesn't have an expression. Like, um, I don't know. I don't know what the feeling is, but I think let's just start with the words first. Oh, I think it's um, like, okay. One white glove short or something right, like that. Right. You know oh, what I yeah, mean? Good. Like yes, 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 polish yes. the silver polish the candlestick. Yep. You right. can't. <laughs> Ian, do you have anything about the book and anything else about? <laughs> yeah, I could say a couple more things about the book. The last thing I want to say is a little thing about Heller himself. So I would say this book is pretty clearly anti-war. Um, our main character, Yossarian, is terrified of dying. He hates fighting um, and he's not a dirty coward. His paranoia is justified. Heller has said he doesn't think of this as an anti-war book. People asked him, hey, your book about ridiculous incompetency and how hero- heroism is a lie. That's anti-war, right? And he's like, no, I, we all thought war was pretty noble. He got super, super rich off this book. It was made into a movie. Um, he was made a millionaire by this book. He's written other things. They have not been as successful. Um, he just seems like once you got the money, who gives a shit? Right, okay. he's coasted. So I'm going to end today with uh, like, with an amazing story. Well, artistic integrity. Who cares? Okay, whatever. Yeah. Um, I'm going to end with an amazing story from somebody who went to see him talk um, in 1980. This person was a university student. Uh, it's the 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 account goes. I expected Heller to give an intellectual analysis of Catch 22 or life or something. What he actually did. What he actually did was read several extracts, excerpts from Catch-22, laughing happily at his own jokes. <laughs> <laughs> That's the author tour that everybody wants. I love feeling disappointed. Now I look back and think, if I'd written something as good as Catch-22, I'd spend my time enjoying it too. I love that idea of someone just, he writes a great book, everyone ag- agrees, he gets rich, and then he's like, yeah. I will coast now. The explaining my jokes tour. <laughs> <laughs> it's not even, it's not even explaining it's like uh it's like it's, he's playing his greatest hits yeah he's and, just and he's clapping along he's <laughs> like he's like claws machine <laughs> he's crowd surfing on his own shoulders Well, gentlemen, welcome to Tiffany's, a safe place for you to tell me all the terrible things about your book without it being held against you in a court of law. Joe, do you want to go first? Yeah, um, I brought this up. So I said a couple relatively. Yeah, you, also, about you, my book. you already kind of bashed it a bit. Yeah, but the, the thing that drove me craziest about this book is I started it, as I said, on audiobook. And I the the audiobook narrator was so insufferable that I ended up going down this rabbit hole trying to figure out like how he got this job, right? Like who is he that he was able to let, track this down? I, I don't want to go too much into it, but the answer is, is I'm pretty sure he's friends with Joe, with Joe Kasadian. Um, <laughs> but the thing, but once you hear it, you can't help but read the rest of the book in the same narration. Like once you get that over the top, it, right. and, I don't know. It that's was really the, rough. That's it. You can't. It's almost like you. I. You got to read the book first, and then the audiobook and then watch the movie. That's the order. That's the order, man. Or you watch mistake. the movie first and enjoy that tension, and then you read the real story, which is the book. 
and then right. and then you read the audiobook mm-hmm. you listen to one chapter of the audiobook and then watch the movie again and then re- Ian <laughs> what is your I got lost. My Tiffany's is that this book is way too adult for the the the, the classes I teach. I really, oh, no. really would. I would love to teach this, but uh-huh. absolutely not. It said it was. Uh, it said it was high school reading. Like, uh, oh man, no. It's jo- super crude and it's pretty dark and like. Have you been on the internet, Ian? They've been <laughs> looking at this stuff <laughs> since yeah, they were yeah, ten. Yeah, but I'm a okay. local parentis. <laughs> I can't just. It's it's less about. Um, it's less it. about the students and it's more about the parents. We'll leave it yeah, there. Yeah, that's actually a common thing that we hear from students when they're like, Can you play the explicit version of this song? And you're like, No, I can't. And they're like, We already listened to it. And it's like, Yeah, but the difference, like, there's a difference between you doing something on your own and uh-huh. me putting something in yes. front of you. Yes. <laughs> Responsibility. Very funny, Joe. You lose uh, yet again. I think that's like eight weeks in a it's row or something like that. A rough so run <laughs> in Joeville. <laughs> in Joe. <laughs> Oh, uh, you know, what can you do? Hey, yeah. I, I mean, to be fair, I was up against Catch-22, which is yeah. a literary juggernaut. It's a All losing right. battle, yeah. Lidheads, Sean, I'm sorry. Let's start there. Uh, Lidhead Sean, I am so sorry. Also, Lidhead Sean, I didn't really like this book. And I don't think <laughs> it deserved to win. Um, uh, Joseph Kasabian, by the way, has a war podcast. He has a military history podcast where he uh, talks about about war stuff. Um, that I Did you listen about. to it at all, Joe? I did not. No, I I was just so afraid that it would be his voice being like <laughs> Joseph Kasabian. <laughs> um, Lidheads, if you want to suggest a book, um, do better than Sean. Head on over to you. Oh know my God. God. This week we're alienating you specifically, Sean. I'm <laughs> sorry. <laughs> <laughs> suggest a book suggest a theme war oh maybe theme. this could be our thing we could just tear our lit heads down whenever <laughs> they send us beautiful recommendations mm-hmm. um you can also request a sticker there um you can head on over to a podcast player of your choice but tell a bookish friend um lit heads beget more lit heads and you can go beget yourself some lit heads thank you lit heads we love you congratulations joseph heller congratulations ian congratulations robert gottlieb the editor of yes, this book returning right. oh returning. really yeah, Gottlieb. Gottlieb was the oh, one that said, we, "Yeah, you brought you it need up." You to do right. Catch Twenty Two instead. Of, yeah, uh, I think we should have a Gottlieb count. I think we should we should um, track how many how many award winning how many you don't know lit winning books he, he edited. All right, I'm going to read a quote from towards the end of the book. This is in the hopeful section of the book. Our main character is wandering around Rome and seeing terrible things, and he says, "What a lousy Earth." Yossarian wondered how many people were destitute that same night, even in his own prosperous country. How many homes were shanties, how many husbands were drunk and wives socked, and how many children were abused, bullied, or abandoned. How many families hungered for food they could not afford to buy. How many hearts were broken, how many suicides would take place that same night, how many people would go insane, how many cockroaches and landlords would triumph. How many winners were losers, successes, failures, and rich men, poor men? How many wise guys were stupid? How many happy endings were unhappy endings? How many unhonest men were liars, brave men, cowards, loyal men, traitors? How many sainted men were corrupt? How many people in positions of trust had sold their souls to bodyguards? How many had never had souls? How many straight and narrow paths were crooked paths? How many best families were worst families? 
and how many good people were bad people. When you added them all up and then subtracted, you might be left with only the children and perhaps with Albert Einstein and an old violinist or a sculptor somewhere. <laughs>